Good morning, everybody. All right. How many of you have been enjoying the summer through the Psalms? Hey, hasn't it been great? This is the last summer um, going through the Psalms. We're going to be looking at a, at a Psalm today that I believe the Lord put on my heart. And uh, as I've been studying this Psalm, uh, you know, the Lord really speaks to you when you start to study something. And, and you actually experience going through it yourself. You experience something of this Psalm and you can identify with it. And that's what the Psalms are so, so good about the Psalms. Now, anyone who knows me knows that I love music, right? I love music. I'm always listening to music. Uh, If I'm in the backyard doing work, I've got the music playing. If I'm in the kitchen cooking, I love to have the music playing. You know, there's something about music that speaks to us. There's something about music that really connects with us. It's the words, it's the melody, it's the lyrics. One of my favorite bands, U2. How many like U2? All right, come on, not everybody. But uh, I just love the lyrics of U2. And I think Bono has such a way with words and, and he puts things in lyrics. Right now I'm listening to this song called Unknown Caller. And it's really a, an, an interesting song because it's a, it's a conversation between a man who is lost between the darkness and the dawning. And it's God speaking to this man. So it's a dialogue between God and man. And God's saying to this man, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to what I have to say to you. So it's a really interesting song, and I'm getting a lot out of it. You know, that's what attracts us to music. Some parts of the singer's experience resonates with us. So we sing along. Sometimes we change the meaning of the song just a bit to, f- to fit our own experiences, our lives, and our moods. Even though the singer does not know, we sometimes adapt the music to our needs. The Psalms are very similar. They come from ancient people who experienced similar feelings to what we feel, challenges, and joys that we also go through now. And as we sing them or read them, their stories become ours. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this about the Psalms. He says, note, he he says that while the rest of the Bible is God's word to us, the Psalms are words given by God to be said back to God. They were not written as information, but as prayers. God's intention in giving them to us was that we would give them back to him as expressions of our own devotions and desires. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 130. So let's open our Bibles or our devices to Psalm 130, and let's keep them open to that Psalm because we're going to be referencing it as we go throughout uh, this morning. Now, one commentator, Samuel Cox, calls Psalm 130 a tiny gospel, announcing the truth which every man needs to know. This Psalm is a call for help, a cry for forgiveness, and it's all about waiting for the Lord in hope. Let's read Psalm 130. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. 
I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Psalms. We thank you how they can speak to us today, how something that was written thousands of years ago can still be applicable to our lives today. Lord, I pray that as we study this Psalm and we go through this Psalm, Lord, that you would touch us right where we're at. Father, allow us to be open to what you want to say to us this morning through this wonderful Psalm. And in your name we pray, amen. So we're going to look at four different aspects of this psalm. Now notice this psalm has eight verses, four stanzas with two verses per stanza, and each stanza has a different emphasis. Now the psalm starts out at the very bottom of the pit, but it quickly rises to great heights. And that's what we're going to look at. The psalm has a simple message for us today, that those who wait for the Lord wait in hope. So let's look at the first point. In God, we have mercy. Now, the psalmist went to great lengths to make us feel as they felt so that we might experience God's mercy on the other side of trouble. Verse one, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. First, we notice we must cry out to the Lord. This is what the psalmist is telling us. Now, the psalmist must have been feeling something very deeply in his life. He cries out to the Lord. There's something in him, and it's a deep cry. Something must have been troubling him. The depths here represent when you hit rock bottom, and you realize that you can't fix the situation on your own. The message translates this, help God, the bottom has fallen out of my life. One of my favorite U2 songs is 40. And 40 is, is, a song, is a song that you two wrote on Psalm 40. And it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit, out of the miry clay, and I will sing a new song. I will sing a new song. You know, sometimes we can find ourselves in this pit, in this clay, where our feet can't move anymore. Have you ever been stuck in clay? You ever got your boots or your feet stuck in clay? It's really hard to move. And you try to pull your boot out and it gets stuck and you're pulling and it's like, that's what it's like when we get stuck. Sometimes we get stuck and we're stuck in this clay and we try to move and it's very, very difficult for us to move. And we don't know where to find the answer. So we find ourselves in distress and we cry out to God. That's what the psalmist is doing here. He's crying out to God out of the depths. That's whatever he's going through. Listen to the words of Jonah in chapter 2, verse 2. It says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. David found himself in many distressful situations that left him nowhere else to turn but to God. 2 Samuel 22, 7 says, but in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I cried to God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cries reached his ears. 
Notice the Lord hears us. When we're in these situations, he's not deaf. He can hear us. He can hear our cries. When we cry out to him from the things that are troubling us, from the distressful situations, he hears us. We are convinced. I am convinced of this. Psalm 69, 1-3 says this. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing I have come into the deep waters where floods overflow me. I am weary of crying. You know, prayer is never more real and acceptable to God than when it rises out of the deep places. When it comes out of the deep things, the distressful situations in our lives. Deep places bring about deep devotion. And the depths earnestness are stirred by the depths of tribulation. The more distressed we are about something, the more excellent is the faith which trusts in the Lord. So the question for us today is when we face these deep situations, these distressful situations, where do we turn? You know, the situation might be financial. The situation might be relational. It might be some sickness that you're facing. Someone that you've prayed for for years, you're asking the Lord to bring them back. There's many situations. All of us here face distressful situations. And we're crying out to the Lord. The question is, where do we go when we face these situations? Many turn to drugs. Many will turn to alcohol to escape the pain, to medicate the pain. Some of us will turn to all kinds of distractions, pornography, uh, gambling, even, even things like success and money can distract us. Or we can cry out to the Lord who hears us. That is what the psalmist does in this psalm. Now, I have many times cried out to the Lord I'm crying out to the Lord right now. I have many things on my prayer list that I'm crying out to him for. And I'm believing that he is going to answer them in his time and in his way. Amen? And sometimes I even yell at the Lord. That's right. Sometimes I get in a room and I get angry with him. I'm telling you that God is not offended when we have it out with him. He's heard it all before. I want to show you a little brief clip from a movie called The Apostle. Has anybody seen The Apostle with Robert Duvall? It's a great movie. I think it was uh, filmed in 1996. Um, And uh, and in it, Robert Duvall is a preacher of the word. He was called of God as a little boy, as he's raised, and he's fallen off track. And he's coming to the Lord, and he's having it out. Let's watch this. Hashtag my wife, they stole my church. That's a temple I built for you. And I'm going to yell at you because I'm mad at you. I can't. Take it. Give me a sign or something. Blow this pain out of me. Give it to me tonight, Lord God, Jehovah. If you won't give me back my wife, give me peace. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. Give me peace. Give me peace. I don't know who's been fooling with me. You are the devil. I don't know. 
And I won't even bring the human into this. He's just a mutt, so I'm not even going to bring him into it. But I'm confused. I'm mad. I love you, Lord. I love you. But I'm mad at you. I am mad at you. So deliver me tonight, Lord. What should I do? Now tell me. Should I lay hands on myself? What should I do? I know I'm a sinner and a once in a while woman, but I'm your servant. Since I was a little boy, you brought me back from the dead. I'm your servant. What should I do? Tell me. I've always called you Jesus. You always called me Sonny. What should I do, Jesus? This is Sonny talking now. That really dramatizes it. We go through times, we bring it to God. He hears us. Next, our plea for mercy. Look at, the, uh, look at verse 2. It says, Hear, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my voice of my pleas for mercy. All of us here this morning are in need of mercy, of God's mercy. You know, mercy is defined in Easton's Bible Dictionary as compassion for the miserable. <laughs> compassion, isn't that it, eh? I am miserable, and I need God's mercy. We all need God's mercy this morning. And we know that God is a merciful God. We need to ask for it. We're his children. Cry out, bring him your requests. He is a good father and he wants to hear what's on our hearts. Maybe we've gotten so far off track that we don't think he'll ever want to hear from us again. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. He says, when a man is getting better, he understands more clearly the evil that is in him. But when a man is getting worse, further away from God, he understands his own badness less and less. So, whether you have not come to faith in Christ or whether you have been a Christian for a long time, getting a glimpse of God in his holiness will plunge you into the depths of guilt and despair so that you cry out to him for mercy. Right? We all need God's mercy. Mercy is simply us getting what we don't deserve. We all deserve punishment and judgment for our rebellion and our sin against him. But God decides to have mercy on us. Look at this. 2 Samuel 24, 14. David said to Gad, who was one of his prophets, he says, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But do not let us fall into human hands. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Mercy. We need it. Bring it on, Lord. Let's look at... Uh, in God, we have forgiveness. Verses 3. O Lord, who, if you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? 
See, we are in such a terrible position with the sin before us. And now if God kept a ledger or a record of all the sins we committed, we would not survive the outcome. The guilt would be so great that our punishment would be certain. Not even Mother Teresa would survive. You could live the perfect life and do one small thing wrong and you're guilty before a holy and pure God. All of us have gone astray. We have all gone our own way, we are told. But, and here is the good news, folks. But, with you, there is forgiveness. So here's our position. We are in the depths of sin. Our guilt is before us. We cry out to God and he hears us and he comes not with judgment but with forgiveness. And I think there's a wonderful story in the Bible, the story where the religious leaders of Jesus' day brought this lady caught in adultery to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, in the law, we should stone her for what she's done. She is guilty of adultery and the law says we should stone her. Jesus simply sat down on the ground and he wrote in the ground and he looked at these leaders and he said, who among you is without sin? Let him cast the first stone. And one by one, the leaders dropped their stones and they left. They were convicted. But then, a remarkable thing happened. Jesus looked at the lady and said, Women, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That is the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus. And we are told that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is waiting to forgive us. Think of the story of the prodigal son. Think of the story of the thief on the cross. Think of your own story. My story. We all have a story of forgiveness. Think about David. Here's David, a great prophet, a man of God, a God, a man that said that God said is a man after my own heart. But even David was guilty of sin. In fact, a case could be made that he broke all Ten Commandments, murder, lust, adultery, and the list goes on. But God forgave him and restored him. And you can read about his restoration and his um, pouring his heart out to God and asking for forgiveness in Psalm 51. It's his repentance psalm. Look at verse 4. His forgiveness leads to fear. It says, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. As I said, without forgiveness, we're all doomed. We learn to fear him. At first glance, doesn't this little phrase seem kind of strange a little bit? I thought it was when I first read it. I thought, well, maybe, um, but there is forgiveness with you so that you may be loved. Or maybe there is justice with you that you may be feared. But that's not what this verse says. Look at it closely. It says, 
but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Why does he say that? Why why does the author put it that way? Because we fear God because we know that he has every reason to condemn us, to judge us. You do not fear his punishment now, but you do fear him because you know that he rightly could have cast your body and soul into hell for all of eternity. But the psalmist tells us that no matter how deep we may be in guilt and despair, we can cry out to the Lord for mercy. And he adds that there is forgiveness with God and it leads to fear because without it, we're all doomed. Psalm 16.6, I love this psalm. Listen to this, it says, by loving kindness and truth, sin is atoned for. And by fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. It's by the fear of the Lord that we want to keep away from evil and sin. That pushes us into the Lord and his goodness. The third thing we're going to look at is, in God, we have hope. Let's look at verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, in his word, I hope. Hope can be found in his precious word, the Bible. It is God's love letter to us. In fact, Psalm 119.72 tells us that his word is better than thousands of pieces of gold and silver. You can have it all. You can have what everything the world has to offer, but his word is more valuable to us. It's not just words on a page. It's living life. It's breathed life. It's inspired, God-inspired word for us. And hope is not just a desire for something good in the future, but rather biblical hope is a confident expectation for something good in the future. If you are in Christ here this morning, you have a great hope for your past, that your sins have been forgiven, Psalm 103 says that he has, for, he has forgiven our sins and put them as far as the east is from the west. For the present, confident that God has saved you and given you his spirit. 1 John 4.13 says, By this we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And for the future. Heaven awaits those who put their trust in him. It's where all of our hardships, setbacks, disappointments, and failures will be forgotten. And we live with our Heavenly Father for all eternity. 1 Peter uh, 1, verses 3 and 4 says this. Listen to this. I love this. This is probably one of my favorite verses right now. It says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. This is the hope, folks. This is where we're going. We have a wonderful future. No matter what we go through here, our future is secure when you're in Christ. Folks, without hope, Where do we bring our pain? Where do we bring our frustration? Where do we bring our disappointments? 
There are people that have lost hope. I'm going to read you a couple of quotes from a few very high-profile musicians that we've just read about uh, in the news that have recently committed suicide because they lost hope. Listen to this, what Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park said. He said this, I have been able to tap into all the negative things that can happen to me throughout my life by numbing myself to the pain, so to speak, and kind of being able to vent it through my music. Chester committed suicide July 20th, 2017. His friend, Chris Cornell, from Soundgarden and Audio Slave said this, There's something about losing friends, particularly young people, when it's not something that you get over. I don't believe there's a healing process. Chris committed suicide May 18th, 2017. And unfortunately, the list goes on. I've been recently to uh, many funerals, not just recently, but over my life, uh, both Christian funerals and non-Christian funerals. And I can tell you that there is a vast difference between attending a Christian funeral and attending a funeral of somebody who doesn't know the Lord. While the Christian funerals can be sad, there is, remo- there is uh, grieving that goes on, but there's hope. There's hope that we will see our loved one again. There's hope that they are in the presence of the Lord right now. But sometimes, hope means waiting. Waiting for the Lord to act. Doesn't always act in our time. On our clock. As Gary said a few days ago. He works in his time. Let's look at verse 6. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman in the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. You know, when you think about it, Life is all about waiting. Waiting for red lights. Waiting for answers to questions that you have. Waiting in the doctor's office, in the waiting room. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Just ask my wife. I'm probably one of the least patient people when it comes to waiting. I hate walking into a store and seeing a huge lineup. I'd rather just walk right out of the store than to wait in that line. I don't like waiting. But you know what? The Lord teaches us something in waiting. There's something in waiting that God's trying to get our attention. He's teaching us patience. I need patience, Lord. Next time I go into the grocery store, give me the patience to wait. I need it. We all need to learn to wait for God to act. His time is always perfect. He will do it in his time when we wait and we trust in him. That's what waiting is all about. It's learning how to trust in him as well. You know, when our kids were young, we used to take trips to uh, Windsor, Ontario to visit my parents. And uh, we used to drive 24 hours in a car and sometimes to... uh, and and sometimes to make up time, I would drive through the night. I would take the night shift. And I I would be driving in the car at night, and it's dark, and the kids are sleeping, and Linda's sleeping, and the hours are just ticking by. Minute after minute. I'm doing everything to stay awake. I'm eating sunflower seeds and listening to music. Turn it down, okay, turn the music down. And I'm just waiting, 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 waiting for that first glimmer of sun to come over the hill. And then I know... 
My watch is over. My wife takes over the driving and I can rest. But you know what? There's a confidence in that because we know the sun is going to come up. It comes up every day. And the answers to your prayers will come as well. We can be confident that God will answer your prayers. We cry out to him. Give them to him. On the night, of, on the night before August 1st, 1830, the British or the slaves in the British West Indies never went to bed. They stayed awake because at daybreak, they would be set free from their slavery. Tens of thousands of them went to their places of worship and spent the night singing praises to God, waiting for the first glimmer of daylight. Just before dawn, they sent some onto the tops of the hills <clears throat> so they could signal the others that day had broken. Out of the depths of the horrors of slavery, when daylight came, they would taste the joys of freedom. That's what waiting is, folks. Waiting expectantly for God to work and God to answer your prayers in his time. Our lives are so busy. We live in an instant society. drive through restaurants, instant coffee. It's not done fast enough. Microwave ovens. We don't know what it is to wait. But God is teaching us in the waiting, we learn to put our trust in him. God, whatever you, you are sovereign, God. You are all powerful. And I will wait because I trust in you. I trust that your answer will be right for me when your time is right. And waiting doesn't mean just to sit around and do nothing. Wait till we go to heaven. God wants to use us now, right where we're at. Give us a productive life. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. He says, A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave this present world as it is. If you read history you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were just those who thought the most of the next. Not great. And Isaiah 40, 31 says, but they who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up with, as, with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary and they will walk and not faint. What a promise of waiting on the Lord. And lastly, in God, there is love and redemption. Verse 7 and 8 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for the Lord, in the, wait, with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Right? Amen. All his iniquities. See, when you've been in the depths, folks, and you've been washed with God's forgiveness, you want others to experience the same thing, the freedom, the way that you've been set free. The basis of hoping in the Lord is that with him, there is loving kindness. He is not a gruff and mean father. He is a merciful God, a forgiving God, a loving father. Remember how he revealed himself to Moses in the wilderness. Exodus 34, 6 says, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding 
with loving kindness and truth. And David says in, one, in Psalm 103, 13, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Abundant redemption. That's what it's all about. All your sins will be covered. He will redeem Israel from all their iniquities. See, the psalmist didn't exactly know how God would do this. But when Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, heard that his son would be the forerunner of the Messiah, and that Mary was with child, with the Savior, through the Holy Spirit, listen to what he prophesied. Luke 1.68 says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. That was God's plan from the beginning. Now, to conclude, I want to tell you a story about uh, somebody I recently met uh, through my son-in-law, Mark. He's uh, one of the guys that does work for Mark. And uh, I was, we were having some work done at our house. Some, um, uh, some, he, he owns a business, a soffit, fascia, east trough business. So he was over, and we were having a conversation. And uh, I decided to take a few hours off and, and help him out and work with him a little bit. And so... I remember we were uh, having a talk and I said, so uh, Chris, his name's Chris. By the way, I have permission to share this story, okay, right from Chris. So I said, I said, Chris, how are you doing? He says, well, not great. I was recently diagnosed with colon cancer. I said, oh, Chris, it's awful. It's a 37-year-old man with two children. Um, you know, has this diagnosed with colon cancer. I said, well, Chris, tell me. And he says, well... I went to the doctor uh, in June, and uh, they did an MRI. I was having some pain in my back. Did an MRI, and they saw this mass. So they said, well, we're going to send you for a, t a CT scan. So they sent him for a CT scan. The day after he had the CT scan, the doctor called him and said, yeah, you have colon cancer. We're going to book you for an appointment in August to have a colonoscopy done to see exactly how bad it is and what we need to do. So he was over at my place on July the 26th. I said, Chris, do you mind if I pray for you? Uh, after we do our work and just ask God to, you know, heal you, whatever. He says, I, I would like that. He said, and he's a believer. He says, yeah, I would like that. And so, and I, I wasn't the only one praying for him. His family and people, other people were praying for him. But after we finished the work, I put my arm around him and I said, I, I just prayed that God would heal him and that God would give him his peace uh, throughout the storm he was going through. So uh, a week or two goes by and... Um, um, our daughter and son-in-law are at our place a few days after August 10th. And Mark says to me, he says, oh, by the way, good news. I go, what's the good news? He says, well, you know, Chris went for his uh, uh, results from his uh, colonoscopy. And uh, the doctor found no sign of cancer. Yeah. You know, and... <clears throat> So I, I called Chris and I said, Chris, I just heard this wonderful news. I said, do you believe that God healed you? And he goes, yeah, I do. I believe that God healed me. And he says, the amazing thing was, even throughout the whole thing with this cancer, he says, I had peace. Because I knew, my wife and I knew that we are in God's hands, no matter what happens. But God had mercy on him. So he, I said, like, I need to share the story because it really ties in to my message Here's a man who was in the depths, like a lot of us face the depths. Here's a man who prayed, who called out to God, 
And God had mercy on him and healed him. That's the kind of father we have. He can give us peace in the storm. He's always with us, no matter what we go through. The world doesn't, can't offer any kind of hope to us. You know, I would rather have my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life than written on a check for $300 million. Right? I'd rather have my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life than on the Hollywood Hills. Because he offers us hope and forgiveness and mercy and all these things that this wonderful psalm can teach us when we cry out to him. So here's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to all in our, wherever we're at, to bow our heads. And if there's something on your heart right now that you're crying out to the Lord for, whatever it is, I want you to stand up right now. Stand up right where you're at. If you're crying out to God for something, for an answer to a prayer, for God to meet you right where you're at, because I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God will touch you and meet you right where you're at. Whatever it is you're waiting for, cry out to him. Turn to him. Let's, let's bow our heads. And if there's a few around, some that are standing, just put your arms around them and also pray with me. Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you for what you're doing in each one of our lives. Father, I th we thank you for your forgiveness and your mercy. We need it, Lord. We need it. We can't live without it. Father, hear the cries of your people here this morning. Lord, you know each individual here that is standing right now. You know their hearts. You know the cries that they've been, that they've been crying out for, Lord. I pray that you would answer them. And in the midst of whatever they're going through, Lord, that you would give them your peace. That they would experience your peace in the storm. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us this morning. Thank you, Jesus.